Let's begin today with a little thought experiment. Suppose tomorrow some university in North America were to announce that it was offering scholarships for students of white Aryan descent. What do you think the popular response would be? Okay. What about scholarships for Asian students? How about scholarships for Jewish students? How about uh, if a university were to offer scholarships to students who are either black or indigenous? Oh, bravo, bravo, how progressive, the crowd cheers. Today, folks, we are talking about race-based scholarships, scholarships based not necessarily on merit or on academic achievement, but scholarships primarily geared towards a segment of the population which is perceived as, in some ways, disadvantaged, or underrepresented in higher education. Here to help me unravel this very thorny topic, we have the great philosophical and legal mind of Mr. James Valiant. James, how are you doing today? I'm quite well, sir, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Let's begin with a little bit of the history. So before we went live on air, you were telling me about that some of these scholarships have actually been around for many, many decades. And you mentioned that there was even an organization as far back as the 70s that specialized in offering financial assistance to young Black students. So tell us a little bit of the background, a little bit of the historical background first. I, I can remember as a kid in the 60s and 70s watching telev television commercials that had a very famous tagline, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And it was a tagline for a private scholarship organization called the United Negro College Fund. In those days, Negro was the uh, acceptable term for African-Americans in, in my country, but it was called the United Negro College Fund. It was a totally privately financed organization that offered private scholarships to disadvantaged African-American students uh, who needed uh, financial help with their higher education. Um, in the 60s and 70s, of course, America was still coming off of decades of horrific discrimination against African-Americans who had been excluded from, just simply legally excluded from many schools in the American South as such. Um, and so, you know, and there also been a tradition in the United States of traditionally uh, black uh, universities and colleges or traditionally women's uh, colleges with the idea that, again, uh, it would be uh, better for certain groups to have an environment which was non-discriminatory and a place that would give a leg up to previously uh, to groups that had been previously disadvantaged and, in fact, had been previously, sometimes even legally, uh, prevented from obtaining an education. In those cases, uh, you know, like uh, for African-Americans, uh, Tuskegee or Brown, or for women, Vassar, Bryn Mawr, there are famous colleges in the United States designed discriminating for, uh, specifically on the basis of race and sex to help these previously disadvantaged groups. If it's a private scholarship, if it's a private school, if they're not involved in some massive government program, <laughs> program about this, then it seems to me that uh, they can discriminate on the basis of race or gender or sexual preference or anything they want uh, if they believe there's uh, they need to uh, just uh, account for previous discrimination. And at one time, it seems to me, that seem, seemed to be a perfectly rational uh, motivation to help uh, disadvantaged uh, minority uh, students who had had 
uh, face discrimination in education. Um, uh, of course, government's involvement in any program that would racially discriminate, I think, is pernicious uh, and a violation of equal protection. The government should not take cognizance of race, gender, uh, or sexual orientation in any rational, invidious way. Um, fast forward to today. The world in the 21st century in North America is very different than the North America of the mid 20th century. It very, very much is. I myself appeared in front of African, as an attorney, I appeared in front of African-American judges. I worked for an elected district attorney who was herself gay, uh, a lesbian. And I myself was supervised by male homosexuals in within the district attorney's office to say that gays, for example, or African-Americans or women within the law enforcement community in the last 30 or 40 years is a major issue, I think is just factually incorrect. In a conservative American community like San Diego County, California, for California, believe me, it's the conservative, the comparatively conservative place uh, for them to uh, have in effect, conservative African-American judges, supervisors, elected district attorneys, that sort of thing shows how far we've come, and gays and women, shows how far we've come. Um, I don't think that racial discrimination, see race is not a, ra a rational basis on which to discriminate, unless you really are accounting for past discrimination. It, it, a private organization is now just simply being discriminatory in my view, if they hand it out on the basis simply of race, sex, or sexual orientation, if that makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. So I think based on what you've just said, I think the real distinction is, is the scholarship being offered by, say, a private individual, a private organization versus a, a public school, a university that's funded by the government? So there are quite a few cases now in Canada and the United States where universities, publicly funded universities are offering scholarships to black students uh, in Canada, to native students. That's very common. There was just a university here in British Columbia that made an announcement, which was uh, greeted with all sorts of cheers and acclamations. So what are some of the problematic implications of a publicly funded institution offering these kinds of scholarships, scholarships which do discriminate on the basis of ethnic origin, race, et cetera? It's so ironic because that is what will institutionalize racism. Where we, we want to end systemic or legalized or institutionalized racism. The way to uh, cast that in stone is to make it part of a law or to have the government involved in that. When it's private organizations, uh, I believe that I agree with Ayn Rand when freedom is allowed to reign, the rational will tend to prevail. You cannot indulge in irrational discrimination on the basis of race or gender or uh, sexual orientation in a free market uh, economy. Uh, more than that, your even if it is an educational institution, it will face problems if its form of discrimination is irrational in that context. As I say, there are certain contexts where it may be rational to account for some previous discrimination. Once that's gone, then it's just another form of racism. Um, private races should be legal. Uh, they should be to do that, but they would pay a price, it seems to me, over time in a free society. Yeah, this seems to be the, the naked face of so-called anti-racism. If you read people like Ibram Kendi and Robin D'Angelo, they actually, when they promote their so-called anti-racism, they say, yeah, we should be taking steps to address, to redress previous injustices, which means 
offering benefits to students who belong to groups that have been marginalized in the past and therefore disadvantaging students or employees who belong to groups that have been in the ascendant groups or dominant or majority groups in the past. But really, it is just perpetuating discrimination. And so I know this is a bit of a, a bit of a hackneyed example, but I'm going to cite it nonetheless. Imagine for a moment that you or a loved one are about to undergo some kind of surgery, some particularly life or death surgery. And let's suppose the physician, the doctor who is supervising your surgery, got his degree not through merit, not through academic achievement, but because he received some sort of race-based scholarship. How secure would you feel? How confident would you feel going into that sort of situation? Or not, not necessarily medicine. It could be an attorney who's going to be defending you in a very serious case. Or it could be you know, some military leader leading a, a, an important operation in another country. You know, how confident do we feel about our society if people are getting ahead on the basis of so-called positive discrimination or affirmative action rather than strictly academic merit and hard work? You know, that's exactly it. If merit, if I mean, even if I were to hand out, let's say, let's go back to the dark, more the darker times of American history, say the 50s or 60s, in which we really are still overcoming all kinds of racial discrimination. Even if I were to give a scholarship to help disadvantaged African-Americans, I would have merit based into it. I would not be giving out the scholarship to kids who didn't have good grades or didn't perform well in some, some have some kind of achievement, some kind of outstanding, something that made them stand out. I mean, it shouldn't be just on the basis of race. That's just racism. Uh, the, the recipients should be deserving, in other words. Uh, and the situation should really be uh, trying to account for some kind of injustice out there. When both of those factors are uh, involved, if it is just on the basis of race, you're going to... Now, it's, the scholarship end is uh, perhaps a little less invidious uh, because it's just getting in and paying for it. The standards at the school itself are also extremely important. We when we what we see today so often is the lowering of educational standards, the lowering of employment requirements, just so we can get disadvantaged groups in. Um, for example, uh, if a woman is uh, uh, trying to be a firefighter, or if a woman is trying to be a combat officer, it makes no sense to lower the physical demand, those are physically demanding jobs, to to lower the physical standards just to let more women in. Nor would it be, make sense to say because the Chicago school public school system is so rotten and produces so many illiterates that uh, we should uh, just because they're African American and illiterate, we should give them a full scholarship to Harvard uh, to study, uh, you know, uh, quantum mechanics. It makes absolutely no sense. The point you make is really good. Do we want our surgeons, our trial lawyers, our teachers? To, to, I mean, the people that we really need confidence on, do we really want to lower our standards ever for that? And it seems to me when it comes to things like scholarships, merit should always be a factor, even in those unusual contexts in which we're trying to make up for some kind of previous injustice. And as I say, by the 21st century uh, in North America, I think we've largely overcome institutional or systemic uh, racial discrimination, sexual discrimination. We may have some further uh, places to go when it comes to sexual orientation. But the point is, 
those by themselves are not criteria for uh, uh, letting someone in alone. They can never be. And in our context, as I say, where, you know, uh, we have openly gay uh, American cabinet uh, officials, uh, multiple uh, women and African-Americans on the Supreme Court. That's an entirely different context. Race has now faded, in a sense, as a significant factor in America, despite what the left is telling us. And uh, if merit should have always been included, merit should now be the fundamental, not the group you belong to. It seems to me, even if I were just a private person with a private scholarship, and get me, again, I'm making the distinction here. If it is a private scholarship at a private school, heck, they can be invidious in their discrimination. They can say only uh, jihadist Muslims can get into our private school if they want. Only jihadist Muslims qualify for our scholarship. Now, I would find that particularly pernicious. I would never support it. But as a private organization, they should be free to do that, if that makes sense. Absolutely, it does. And to be clear, I mean, we're both strong supporters of the idea of private individuals and organizations offering assistance to people who come from any kind of disadvantaged background, who are, are hardworking and deserving. Uh, in fact, there's a wonderful essay by Ayn Rand which talks about this very topic. It's uh, Tax Credits for Education. I believe that's in The Virtue of Selfishness, where she talks about that you know, private individuals should be encouraged to give financial support to deserving young students, and then they should receive tax credits, which will benefit them. So the, the donors are benefiting as well as the recipients. And that's a win-win situation, particularly if it's focused on merits as you've pointed out. Uh, let's just take a moment. Ayn Rand herself gave informal scholarships to students, male, female, Jewish, Christian, <laughs> young old. Ayn Rand herself had a private practice of helping, giving loans or gifts to young students in whom she saw promise to help them complete their education. She definitely believed in private scholarships and she sort of ran one herself among her friends and students. Absolutely. So there's an example of uh, someone who talked the talk and walked the walk, which is right. extremely important. Let's just take a moment to check in with our producer, Daniel. Do we have any comments or super chats from our viewers at this point? We have a super chat from Jonathan. Thank you so much. And this is all so far. Okay. Thank you very much for your generosity. Now, there's one specific case that caught my eye as I was doing some research for this topic. This happened, I believe, in 2019. There was a British entrepreneur, Sir Brian Thwaites, I believe was his name, who is, uh, I think he's now in his 90s. And he offered a, a scholarship to a private school. That's important. He offered, a, as a private individual, he was offering a scholarship to a private school uh, if the money would be used specifically for underprivileged white boys, underprivileged white boys. And this gentleman, uh, I think, grew up in a disadvantaged family himself. He wanted to help other people who came from similar circumstances. And here's the interesting thing. The private university, the private school that he was offering this scholarship to turned it down. They refused it, saying that the conditions that were attached to it were unacceptable to them. However, uh, here's an interesting comparison. Around the same time, uh, a Black uh, rap artist whose name escapes me, offered a huge scholarship to Cambridge University for Black students, which was accepted. So it's, it seems like there's a little bit of hypocrisy that a scholarship that's specifically going to underprivileged white boys is being turned down, but a similar scholarship offered to underprivileged Black boys is, is being accepted. Is there some sort of double standard here? 
Well, there's certainly a double standard there, but the question is, is it invidious and irrational uh, in our current context? As I say, once upon a time uh, in, in Great Britain, Canada, and the United States, there was all kinds of racial discrimination or religious discrimination or sexual discrimination. That is part of uh, our history. There's no question about it. Uh, and uh, and let's be as uh, try to be as factually fair as I can to this uh, white scholarship guy. There are all kinds of poor kids who grow up in neighborhoods like Brixton in London or something, uh, who do not have uh, uh, the resources, come from troubled backgrounds, and they are white and they're white males, and they have economic disadvantages that may make it harder for them to get the same kind of education that other people do in Great Britain. Um, yeah, absolutely. Are there disadvantaged uh, African Amer uh, British or African uh, American students? Uh, absolutely. So the question is, at this stage in history in the English speaking world, does it make sense to discriminate solely on the basis of race in either direction? Why not? Why, why don't we give it on the basis of achievement, merit, what the student seems to deserve? And how about financial need as opposed to race? There are, there may, and in my world, there'd be no government subsidies for, you know, for education, much less higher education, university education. Uh, university education is not a God-given right, no. Uh, and, uh, but on the other hand, if it were a matter of simply the finances to getting them the education they seem to be qualified for, that would be one thing. But to do it today solely, either way, on the basis of race, it seems to me to be racism itself, because the English speaking world has largely, in, uh, in terms of institutions and what they call systemic racism, the English speaking world really has largely overcome it by the 21st century, in my view. So race shouldn't be the, a decisive factor at all at this stage. Um, it should be a question, even if it is a question of need, of need, on the one hand, although need in itself is no justification, plus merit. Are they worthy of taking this chance on? Uh, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't just hand it out because they're, they're, they're disadvantaged and of a certain uh, race. That makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, so even if I were giving it, if even were pure, perfectly legal in my world, private organization engaged in this kind of discrimination, which should be legal, I wouldn't support either one. I wouldn't support either one because they're using what I regard as a relatively insignificant fact to filter their uh, scholarships, race. It makes no sense. It would be like saying, we're only gonna give it to uh, uh, straight kids or only gay kids or, or you know, only women or only uh, uh, men now. Those distinctions really aren't that significant anymore. It is not a legal, or let's put it this way, a total social bar to advancement anymore as it was once in the English speaking world. Um, so no, now I think it's just racism to include that as a factor whichever way you're doing it. And of course, if it's a government supported program, they should be absolutely forbidden from uh, discriminating on the basis of race or sex. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, there's one last rather challenging topic that I want to get to on this issue. And it gets to the question of the, the motivation behind these race-based scholarships. You've made the point several times today that the world we live in today is very different from say half a century ago. In the 20th century, there was, for many periods, institutionalized discrimination, systemic discrimination against various 
groups, whether in education, in the workplace, and much of that has been overcome. And yet in recent years, particularly in the last decade or the last half decade, we still hear these very loud, very shrill voices coming from certain ends of the political spectrum that we still have a lot of institutional racism. Uh, we still hear a lot about you know white people being privileged, about males being privileged. Do you think some of the motivation behind these people promoting these kinds of ideas, people like Ibram Kendi, people like Raman D'Angelo talking about anti-racism, white fragility. Do you think that some of this motivation is actually getting is towards getting financial benefits for their particular tribe? Uh, to use one specific example in my experience. So uh, in, in Canada in recent years, we've been hearing a lot about the whole the native residential school system, how native people have been excluded from various educational opportunities, various work opportunities. Uh, again, a lot of this has been overcome for people who want to pursue certain avenues. But do you think that a lot of this, a lot of these complaints are primarily based on money, that they're primarily based on a desire to get some sort of benefits from the government and so on? Well, yeah, I think that for many of them, the proximate cause is to get money and power for their organization. Uh, there, the, no question in my mind. But it wouldn't be made; it wouldn't be possible for them to make that pitch were it not for the philosophical uh, preconditioning uh, of certain ideas. People, the people are still being trained to think that the world is primarily a racially filtered society, uh, that the civilized world hasn't made significant progress on these things. I mean, I think back to the late 1800s, if you were just Jew a Jewish male trying to get into, say, Cambridge University or Harvard University, you'd have a hell of a time. And now a woman, you know, you know, my goodness, it took so long to get women into those organizations. But this isn't the 1800s, is it? It isn't even the 20th century, is it? Uh, the point is that uh, uh, some of the most prominent academics, some of the most prominent politicians on both sides of the pond are women, blacks, gays. Uh, so it is really hard to make the case today, for example, in my country, um, the, the very heart of the old Confederacy, the first state to secede from the Union to protect slavery in the American Civil War was South Carolina, the very the, the heart of the old racist Confederacy. Today, conservatives in South Carolina have now elected and re-elected an African-American senator. So if conservatives from the American South in the heart of old Dixie can elect an and re-elect on a statewide level an African-American uh, conservative senator, we've come a long way baby, as the old cigarette ad used to say. And uh, you can multiply this across the board. We've had an African-American president re-elected by clear majority. Uh, we've had multiple uh, Blacks on the Supreme Court. Uh, uh, homosexuals have come so far. As I say, there's really no bar to homosexuals being elected district attorney. I worked for one, or, or to being cabinet ministers of uh, the United States. Our Secretary of Transportation is quite open about uh, uh, his husband and so forth. We have come so far. Transgenders are being intentionally uh, placed into certain positions by the Biden administration. Uh, there are people who are pretending to be African-Americans 
or, or in the case of Elizabeth Senator Elizabeth Warren, pretending to be Native Americans, indigenous, in order to get an advantage. Now, if lying about your being a minority will help you, let me suggest that systemic and institutional racism has completely turned on its head in my country, where, of course, like the rest of the uh, English-speaking world, uh, there has been discrimination in the past, but it just ain't the past anymore. So even the private efforts to give a leg up to these disadvantaged groups are making less and less and less sense and are just looking more and more and more like racism, sexism, discrimination, especially when they're not connected to merit or achievement. Um, or so it seems to me. <laughs> no, that pretty, I think that sums it up beautifully. When rewards and advantages are severed from merit and achievement and hard work, that's really just a new form of racial discrimination. Right. And that right. seems to be the direction in which we're headed. Let's yes, check sir. in one last time with our producer, Daniel. Any final comments, super chats, or any uh, announcements for later on today? So we have two new super chats. First, thank you, adherent of Lady Columbia. He says, these people believe merit is white supremacy. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Logic, objectivity, the concept of justice, demanding literacy. You're a racist if you have educational standards. All mathematics is now somehow discriminatory. Uh, we've reached an entirely insane level where logic, objectivity, and mathematics are considered racism. That's sick. That is Kantian subjectivism reaching a new perverse low, in my view. Yeah. Absolutely. And one more super chat from Richard. Thank you so much. He says, the way to fight racism and social justice discrimination is to promote such individualism as is espoused by Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington. Absolutely. Amen. And, Those are two uh, personal heroes, by the way. Two of the greatest Americans who ever lived. <laughs> And a couple of quick announcements. So at 6 p.m. UK time, which is in five minutes, it's the reality show. Today's title is The Environmentalist Case for a Chinese Takeover. And I believe uh, Nicholas is going to be on. Yes. And oh, that's got to be fascinating, Nicholas. <laughs> and then at uh, 9 p.m. UK time, it's HPTV with Harry Binswanger and special guest Jean Maroney on Motivation. Harry and Jean, can't miss that. Yeah, and, and also this Saturday, we are launching a philosophy forum. It's going to be a place where people can come in and uh, discuss several topics. I believe this week it's going to be uh, one of the topics I know is, is it racist to have racial dating preferences? So we talked about racism today. How about racial preferences when it comes to dating. It's going to be available to Platinum Plus members. So make sure to become an ARC UK member. Link is in the chat. And also I was told some people from our shows should also be attending. I'll try to be there. Yeah, thank you very much, Daniel. And thank you, James. A fascinating discussion as always. Uh, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Are you joining the collective today or just going to be watching? Just what I definitely going to be watching, but unfortunately, I can only watch. Okay, okay. Well, then, thank you very much to James. Thank you to our producer, Daniel, to all our viewers and supporters and subscribers. Have a great day, and I wish you all the best of premises. Thank you. Be well.